Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Last year, we had author Stephen Suckup on the podcast to discuss his book, The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. In recent months, Woke Capital has taken a few major hits. Heterodox billionaire Elon Musk has bid to purchase Twitter with a promise to expand free speech on the platform. Florida's state government responded to an intervention in social policy by Disney by stripping it of a special local governance privilege. And Netflix all but told woke employees that if they didn't like the company producing content they disagreed with, they could take a hike. We welcome Stephen back to discuss where woke capital is, where he sees it going, and whether this pushback may be start the start of a trend. Uh, Stephen, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I appreciate so, it. Before we get into the recent developments, can you briefly give sort of the elevator summary of your book uh, and what our what our uh, what our listeners should know about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, idea behind the book is that there has been, uh, over the course of the last century to century and a half, a, a significant uh, change in the way American business functions. Uh, there were two philosophical trends, essentially, uh, the development of progressivism uh, and the idea inherent in progressivism that uh, the people... Uh, should be relegated to second-class status and that uh, the experts should make all decisions. Uh, and then the development of um, uh, cultural Marxism after the end of World War I uh, that contributed to what we understand today as woke capital. Um, the uh, cultural Marxists decided that they would take over all of the institutions, that this would be the way that they would advance the revolution, uh, that they couldn't have the revolution until they took all institutions, and, and so they set about doing so. Uh, and the last of the institutions of the West that stood free uh, from cultural Marxist influence uh, at the end of the century was uh, American business. Uh, but slowly but surely, uh, that has started to change with uh, various uh, leftist interests attempting to change the way American business functions. Uh, and by doing so, changing the way uh, the American citizen interacts with both business and government. Uh, so that's essentially what woke capital is. That's uh, how it developed, and, and that's what brought us to this point. Right, and and in you know, I was listening before we before we started as part of my preparation. I was listening to our previous conversation. You discussed the importance of the the passive asset managers, the the firms that hold the money for people who invest in index funds uh, and the role that they've been having in trying to change uh, in a politically motivated direction uh, the practices of American business. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the the passive asset managers, and particularly the big three, uh, which is uh, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, who uh, combine control over Twenty trillion dollars in assets. Uh, they they take the assets that they have under control and they uh, direct them uh, for their their purposes. Uh, generally speaking, historically, those purposes have been to uh, generate as much return on investment for uh, their 
uh, fund holders, uh, but over the last several years, uh, that's been supplemented, uh, if not displaced somewhat, uh, by this idea of promoting uh, a more uh, environmentally and socially friendly business climate. Uh, and, and so that these funds that are funds that you invest, I invest, uh, just about everybody in the world who has a 401k or an IRA uh, invests uh, with these companies are being used to promote political purposes and specifically uh, left-wing political purposes that are supported by the CEOs of these companies. So now in recent months, we've started to see a bit of actual substantive pushback at least on the fringes of woke capitalism. I, I mean, the most prominent likely being Florida state government uh, responding to Disney intervening against the parental rights and education legislation uh, tarred by the media as, quote-unquote, don't say gay, uh, by taking away the... Re- by or sunsetting the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is a special local governance setup that Disney has had for Disney World for a very long time. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think that what it, what it demonstrates is that people are aware of what's going on. Uh, people uh, are now understand that businesses uh, get involved in politics, uh, not by accident, but on purpose, uh, and that sometimes government has to take a stand and say, look, this is not your function. This is not what we expect from you. This is not what we would like from you. Uh, and sometimes government has to put its foot down and say, look, you're not going to meddle in uh, our democracy. Uh, there's a lot of talk that you hear uh, in the media and particularly from uh, Democratic uh, political types about the end of our democracy and how oligarchs are controlling our democracy. Well, what you see in practice uh, is this happening, but in defense of left-wing policies, uh, which is precisely what happened with Disney. Uh, The billionaires who run Disney said, you know, we don't appreciate what the democratically elected uh, legislature and what the democratically elected governor of Florida have done, uh, and so we're going to use our influence to try and push back against uh, democracy. Extent, to what extent do you think uh, and, it was the the top level managers, like CEO uh, level managers of Disney? To what extent do you think it was you know institutional fund holders, and to what extent do you think it was the employees who sort of pushed them into getting involved in a way that? Uh, led Florida to respond as they have? I I think it was all three. Um, We talk generally, those of us who are uh, pushing back against ESG, pushing back against woke capital, uh, tend to talk about pressure coming from three directions. Uh, Pressure coming from the bottom up, which is employees. Pressure coming from the top down, which is CEOs and and C-suite level uh, employees. Uh, And then pressure coming from the outside in, uh, which comes from activist investors and primarily uh, from some of these activist uh, passive fund managers. Um, I, I think in this case, it primarily came from the bottom up, uh, but certainly there was some pressure from the top down. Um, Bob Chapek, who's the CEO of Disney, uh, is uh, not very well seasoned uh, in the politics uh, of his company, but his his advisor, Bob Iger, who's the former CEO, uh, was very heavily involved in politics uh, throughout his tenure. Um, he actually... Uh, you know he's been involved in politics in Georgia uh, several times uh, before, and so this is not something new for Disney. So this is, I, I think, this oh, is sorry, pressure from the bottom up and from the top down. Because of the way that they have their taxes set up, right? Would be would be why Iger would get it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Georgia spent the last right quarter century uh, wooing uh, Hollywood, uh, and the the overwhelming majority. You know, all the Marvel movies are made uh, in in Georgia, and all of the uh, you know all the various Disney shows are filmed in Georgia, and so there's a lot of uh, money. Uh, that flows from Disney to the state of Georgia. Uh, and so in 2019, uh, when the democratically elected legislature of Georgia passed a fetal heartbeat law and Governor Kemp signed that law, Disney uh, stopped, you know, Bob Iger stomped his feet and said, look, I don't know that what we're going to be able to do in this state uh, if our employees aren't going to be able to have abortions. Uh, you know, as it turned out, that was mostly just idle talk uh, because what was he going to do? Move everything to Florida? Now what's he going to do? Move it all back to Georgia? I mean, you know, it's when you get involved in politics, you have to win. Uh, and he, uh, Disney, um, uh, has a habit of losing. So then, sort of after that happened, uh, after Florida passed the legislation to sunset the Reedy Creek district uh, against, against Disney's interests, you know, we started seeing some moves by businesses to drop woke programming. I know Exxon Mobil said that they wouldn't fly political flags or advocacy flags outside their headquarters, sort of as a symbolic move. Uh, you know, just this week, as of recording, you know, State Farm, a program that they were uh, engaging in with this ad- this uh, LGBT advocacy group, Gender Cool. Uh, was exposed, and then, like, within a day of its exposure, they were running away from it. What do you make of those things, of those moves? Well, I, I think that this is is the beginning of a pushback. I think this is an important uh, aspect of the pushback, uh, but I don't think it's the entirety of the pushback. Um, it, it's a, it, it's definitely a, a, a positive start. For years and years and years, pressure groups from the left have been uh, influencing uh, various businesses to do what they would like, uh, and people on the right generally kept their mouths quiet. Um, that's not happening anymore. Uh, you see it particularly with, with what happened with State Farm. Um, is they were not expecting any pushback, uh, but once this uh, program of theirs was exposed, they got tremendous pushback, right, state, not State just Farm, from customers is, but also from agents. Um, people don't right, state, want state to Farm be involved with politics. Agents, many of whom claimed they had no idea that this was going on, all of a sudden got inundated by by phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and they, they should have been upset because people don't want to see uh, their consumer dollars used to push politics that they don't like. Uh, and so when you're dealing with a country that's as divided as ours, uh, any politics whatsoever becomes problematic. Uh, and, and so if, if you know, I were a State Farm customer and, and I saw something that, that I didn't particularly care uh for the company doing political wise, I would, I would definitely call my agent. And if I were an agent who was unaware of it, I would definitely call my supervisor and complain because that's a good way to lose business. I guess, you know, if this is sort of the first signals that changes, that change may be coming, that there may be a, a a movement now to turn back, uh, will capital more towards political neutrality what needs to happen next? What what do if people who want to see the totalizing progressivism of the institutions moved, you know, retreat? 
what do we need to what do we need to see next? What needs to be pressed for next? What's where do we go from here? Well, I, I think that uh, if we go back to an earlier part of our conversation, that uh, part of the problem here is not just woke capital, but the concentration of capital. Um, you've got these these massive uh, passive asset management firms who have an incredible amount of influence, uh, and and the example I'll use here is is Exxon. You mentioned that Exxon is sort of involved in this pushback because a few weeks ago they said they're not going to have the LGBT flags fly or Black Lives Leg, Black Lives Matter flags fly uh, uh, at their headquarters, uh, which was considered. Uh, by some to be pushed back against uh, woke capital. But at the same time, uh, because of the influence of these big three passive asset management firms, last year at Exxon's uh, general, general annual meeting, um, three environmental activists were elected uh, to Exxon's board of directors, uh, largely because the big three put their weight behind this proposal to put these uh, activists on their board of directors. So a- a- Exxon is, is a good example of, of where we need to go next. And, and part of that is to take back uh, the voting rights that belong to the investors uh, in the funds uh, and allow them to vote those uh, so, those uh, proxies as opposed to having to uh, the large firms now, vote them on their behalf. Like to see it change. So now if I hold a if I'm invested in a BlackRock passive managed fund, BlackRock get is is it that BlackRock gets to decide how it's how the shares are voted, not the holders of the funds? Or- right. Well, as as it works out technically, uh, you buy shares of the fund. You are an owner of the fund. You are not an owner of the actual stock. The fund is the owner of the stock. Um, and so the fund is allowed you know, by virtue of owning the stock to vote to vote uh, on uh, various shareholder proposals, etc. Um, that's the way it's set up legally. Uh, but, you know, clearly... In any practical sense, that's your money that they're using uh, to advance whatever goals they have, be they pecuniary or non-pecuniary. And so by all rights, you should have the ability to vote those shares. Um, But right now it's not set up that way. BlackRock has said that it's going to uh, move toward allowing its fund holders, its fund owners to vote what would be the underlying shares uh, and that that's a a process that it will un you know, unroll over several years, starting with large institutional investors, obviously, uh, because they, they will right, be the people like, most likely like to vote uh, the way BlackRock would like them to vote. Uh, but eventually, yeah, that, we would like, like to see everybody having funds, the right... Institutional endowments, institutions that have already been controlled by progressives. Yeah, so as, as you're yeah, saying... mostly. Uh, 
Um, the idea would be to, to make this universal, uh, to any time you invest in a fund that you get whatever portion of the share you, you get to control, uh, that vote, uh, that, you know, the democratic nature, uh, of the markets continues, uh, the way it should, uh, and that those who own the underlying shares get to control, uh, how they're voted. Um, that's complicated. It's, uh, a long ways off, uh, and even when it happens, uh, there will have to be institutions established to help um, various shareholders make those decisions. Uh, the way that we anticipate for BlackRock, for example, to unroll this uh, is that they will give the shareholder or the uh, fund holders the right to vote, but they will say, "Look." Because we know how complicated this is, we'll do the due diligence for you and we'll have our proxy advisory service make recommendations for you. Um, and so, you know, the independent proxy advisory services are all left-wing and advocate for left-wing policies. Uh, so that's essentially, um, you know, that's, that's, ro- that's a, a change without a, a difference without a distinction. Uh, they're so, giving voters the vote, but telling them how to vote nonetheless. So uh, that's something we'll, we'll need to address once right. we so, get so, to so the I point where we can next roll stage, out this democratic reform. You know, right now you're getting sort of public pushback, the, for lack of a better word, the outrage cycle. Uh, but for the more, a more sustainable solution to... Uh, managing the ESG problem, it's getting individual. It's pushing the 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 governance, the corporate governance, down more towards the individual level rather than these institutional shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I the as I said, this problem is multifaceted. It's going to take a lot of different ideas, a lot of different, um, efforts over a lot of, a lot of years. Um, and the, the start I think is to focus on the concentration of capital. You have, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, for example, uh, who has started uh, a new company, Strive Funds, uh, which is intended to provide, uh, investors with a competitor to BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, uh, in which they invest in excellence, which is to say that they invest in companies that are doing what they're supposed to do and doing it well. Um, that's the type of thing we need. We need greater competition and we na- need greater devolution of uh, shareholder power away from these concentrated uh, locations that, that have, have sprung up because of passive investing. Do you think that's going to require government intervention or do you think that people like Ramaswamy can create market market alternatives, or is it going to be a combination of both? I, I think it's going to have to be a combination of both. Uh, you mentioned at the, at the top of the show the, the work that's being done in the states, uh, work that was done in Florida, for example. There's been there have been efforts in West Virginia and Montana and Texas uh, to push back against some of these companies that are saying, you know, we're not going to invest in fossil fuels, uh, where the state governments have said, you know, look, it is in the best interests of our citizens uh, that fossil fuel companies not be uh, starved of capital. Uh, and so, if you're a, New York, a, a New bank York and California or, uh, aren't the only an, states an that, asset manager that wants to starve our state of capital pension plans and you know so, right Ex- exactly 
And, and they don't have to be with BlackRock. They don't have to be with Vanguard. They don't have to be with State Street. And and a lot of the state governments are pushing back against that. And I, and I think that's important, too. And again, that's part of this decentralization idea that we need to get money out of the hands of, the, of you know, a central locus uh, and put it back uh, with the states or even with California and New York, I would say put it back with the localities because... Uh, there are a lot of localities that have different interests than, say, New right. York City uh, or Los else Angeles. Anything you'd like our listeners to know before we let you go? Well, um, the, the book, uh, The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, is still available in hardback. It will be out uh, next spring, hopefully March, in paperback. Uh, and uh, we continue to fight the good fight uh, against those who would weaponize right. uh, well, our investment capital again, to Tucker make political us. decisions. This book is The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. That's our show for this week. We will see you all next week and encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating.